0: but he disciplines us for good that we may share his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it.
1: I appreciate Dave reading all of that for me because I didn't want to. But I do want you to keep that passage before you as we, as we study together this morning for the next few minutes. I wanted to share with you a Father's Day funny as we began. The parent child relationship, this was sent to me, I think, by way of email. That's a computer, right? Okay. The parent child relationship is a fundamental building block of society, basic to life, which makes the world function. The command to honor your parents gives order and stability to life. A Sunday school teacher asked her students, is there a command that teaches you how to act towards your parents? And the class responded immediately and in unison, honor your father and your mother. Then the teacher asked, is there a command that teaches you how to act toward your brother? The group was stumped for a few minutes, and then one little fellow called out, thou shalt not kill? (laughs) That's a story with some history behind it. I know that focusing on the disciplined dads this morning may seem uh, a little strange to some of you because uh, that may be more likely to evoke flashbacks than, than it does any kind of uh, happy memory. But I want us to know that the Hebrews writer in the text that uh, Dave just read from is writing to Christians who are undergoing all kinds of persecution, hardship, and oppression And he's writing this letter to help them, and and they need some encouragement to hang on and not give up. And that's the primary thrust of this entire book. And among other things, he said, in your struggle against sin, as, as Dave just read, in your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And you have forgotten that word of encouragement that addresses you as sons. That whole text is about the fact that we are all sons of God. Now, you may be a daughter of God, but you still get the idea, generically speaking, we're all God's children. And then he quotes from Proverbs 3, the verse that I really want us to lock in on for just a few minutes. My son, do not let uh, make light of the Lord's discipline. Do not lose heart when he rebukes you because the Lord disciplines those he loves and he, he punishes everyone that he accepts as a son. I, I'm going to share a little bit of my own personal background in this regard if I can today. Because my dad was pretty straightforward when it came to the discipline of his children. And I must say, dad was, well, he was a patriotic father. He laid stripes, I saw stars. You know what I'm talking about. (laughs) And my dad would tell you to do something or not do something. That was your one warning. There were no warning shots that were fired across the bow. And if we disobeyed, Dad was pretty much one-dimensional when it came to the punishment that he administered. I cannot recall one single time in my growing up years that my dad ever uttered these words, Now go sit and time out. If we disobeyed, we got a whooping. And that spelled W-H-O-O-P-I-N apostrophe. Which is, for those of you who have experienced that, is completely different than a whipping. And you know exactly what I'm talking about. And once my my dad got to the whooping stage, he was very open-minded about how a whooping could be administered. It didn't matter to him if we got a whooping in the morning or the evening on inside, outside, or standing up or or bent over. He could get a whooping with a switch, a belt, a strap, a paddle, or his hand. But I guarantee you, a whooping was a whooping when it came from my dad. Now, I want to emphasize, let you get the wrong idea, that my dad never did anything to us that was remotely abusive. Please understand that. His discipline was never abusive, but it was always effective. And I know that our society has changed a lot in the last 50 years since I was living in my father's house. Some things, of course, are for the better, and it's quite obvious that some things are for the worse. There seems to be an entirely different attitude about the discipline of parents and their children. Now, I'm certainly not setting myself up as an authority on this, on this matter this morning, and I want you to know that. But somehow I think there's a difference in threatening a rebellious child with go sit in time out and threatening that same child with a whooping. At least that was the case for me. If Dad ever threatened me with time-out, I know it would not have made near the impression on my posture or my posterior as a whooping would. I tried as my kids were growing up, not to be one-dimensional in my approach to discipline either. I tried to be consistent in my approach with each of our four children. But I found out what worked, and I may be, if you've got more than one kid, you probably know that this is your experience as well. I found out that what worked best for one child did not necessarily work best for all of our children. Or in some cases, it did not work for any of the other children. And, and don't get the impression that I thought that spanking was always the thing to do in every case. That is not the case. I've heard of mothers and read about fathers who who have gotten very creative in their approach to discipline, and I applaud them for it. If you can get creative and and you can do what is, is, is effective in their situation, then I would encourage you to do that. I just know we've got to do something. Our precious kids need boundaries, and they need house rules, and those rules need to be. In fact, they must be enforced in order for those rules to mean anything. Some psychologists have told us that kids who do grow up with rules and discipline grow up feeling loved and secure, much more so than kids who grow up without any boundaries. And I think that we all appreciate the fact that that makes some kind of sense. But our text this morning, if you'll look again at Hebrews chapter 12, is a section of scripture that deals with God's discipline of his children. This is primarily talking about God's discipline of his children, and we need to understand that going into the study. And we have to assume that if God is doing the disciplining, then he's doing it right. Wouldn't we all make that assumption? And it's important for us as Christians to know that God does discipline and correct and teach us still today. This is not just something that the writer is writing for the first century Christians that would be relevant and germane at that time. No, it's, it's still true 2,000 years later. Every word that he spoke that Dave read a moment ago in this text is still very much pertinent and relevant to our situations today. God does that because he's a father and because he loves us. Don't miss that. It is the father's love that is driving his discipline, and we need to learn something from that in our own experiences as moms and dads. And at the heart of this text is the discipline that comes from God, and I realize that, and we all need to realize that. And yet in this text, the Hebrews writer is also expressing, I think, some very interesting things about our own earthly fathers. It's kind of like Ephesians 5. The latter half of that chapter is really Paul talking about Christ's relationship to his church. But we tend to think he's talking about marriage. No, he's talking primarily about Christ's close, intimate relationship with his people, his church. But he simply uses marriage because that's the closest that he can come to thinking about any other relationship would be that close and that intimate. And so uh, the, the other side of the analogy is really the marriage discussion there. And that's what the Hebrews writer is doing here by inspiration. He's talking about God's Father, God our Father and his love for us and his discipline of us. But in doing so, he tells us some very interesting things about how fathers ought to take care of their own business. And since today's Father's Day, I want to point out some of those things and pursue them just a little bit as we, as we seek to honor our fathers today. If you look at verses 9 and 10 in, in, in our text specifically, notice there are four things that the Hebrews writer says about fathers. Let's take those things in turn. Number one, he begins very foundationally, very fundamentally, by saying God's discipline is compared to our own dad's discipline. That's verse 9. Now, you'd think it would be the other way around, that you think that the dad's discipline would be compared to God's discipline. But there's a practical reason for, for comparing our heavenly father's discipline to our earthly father's discipline. Because when the Hebrews writer compared the way God disciplines you, to the way your own father disciplines you, you're going to immediately understand that. If any of you have ever been on the receiving end of your father's discipline, you can immediately go, oh, yeah, I get that. I know how my father disciplined me. I, many of us know why they did that. And, and they, we also understand the love behind that, even though at the time that may not have made a whole lot of sense to us as kids. Because you understand your father's discipline, you're going to better be able to understand the heavenly father's discipline is the writer's point. Now, that very thought is absolutely incredible to me. To think that an inspired writer would teach us about divine discipline by saying, Now, for a moment, I want you to remember your dad's is both humbling and, and more than just a little bit frightening to me as a father. To think that for years down the road, I'm teaching my kids something about how God relates to his children through the way that I discipline them, or maybe that I fail to discipline them. Either we're teaching them something, either for better or for worse. And I know that as fathers, we all want to teach our children the right things, and that makes the issue of being a father that much more serious. It is not a responsibility that is to be taken lightly. So number one, we need to appreciate the comparison and and why the Hebrews writer is giving us this comparison so that we'll be able to relate and understand something about the Heavenly Father's discipline of us. Secondly, deep down, we appreciated our dads for their discipline. You'll see that in verse 9. Some versions, I think the ESV read, and we respected them for it. Now that may be a lot deeper down for some of you than for others. Uh, Some of you years removed from your father's house still have that buried deep down. I don't understand why they did what they did in terms of their discipline. But the text says that the dads disciplined us and we respected them for it. Isn't that the truth? I know that's true as I look back over my life. Many fathers are hesitant to discipline their children because they think that that will distance them from their children. That the discipline will actually, especially if it's corporal punishment, that that will somehow alienate them them from their children. And nothing could be further from the truth. In fact, just the opposite dynamic is true according to this text. Many of you grew up in a home with a loving, godly, hardworking, and let's face it, somewhat disciplinary and father that uh, lived under the same roof as you. An equal number of us who had that experience can also say that he was the finest man I have ever known. There are some young men in this audience this morning who are right now hoping that they will grow up to be half the man that their father is. But our postmodern society does not accept that notion. They do not see any kind of discipline that way, and, and you and I have to appreciate and at least to understand that dichotomy. But I'm still telling you that children, what children want and what they need are boundaries clearly defined, well maintained boundaries. But children are not going to sit down and tell their parents that. They're not going to sit down with mom and dad and say, I really appreciate uh, the discipline and I appreciate the fact that you've got rules. And kids are not going to do that typically, but in fact, they might not be able to put their finger on it and realize what's happening for themselves. But they want the security of knowing where the limits are because there is safety in those limitations that have been lovingly set for them. Don't worry And I'm talking primarily today for obvious reasons to dads, but to moms as well. Don't worry about being too hard on your kids. You'll probably not be as hard on your kids as life will be if they grow up in a home that doesn't have any rules and boundaries. I'll guarantee you that. And certainly you don't want to be the kind of father that Paul describes at least in passing in Ephesians 6 verse 4 when he says fathers do not provoke your children to discouragement. You don't want to be that dad either. That's the other end of the extreme, and that is the guy who has rules and regulations with no reasons and that he is so demanding and such a perfectionist in terms of his kids' behavior that they ultimately just get discouraged and give up and say, you can't please this guy. Paul says, you don't want to be that kind of father either. But the writer in our text is speaking, folks, he is speaking an eternal truth when he says that we respected our fathers for their discipline. Here's the third thing I want to point out about this text. Our dads did the very best that they knew how to do. Look at the latter part of verse 10. The phrase is, as they thought best or as it seemed best to them. I think it's very interesting that the Holy Spirit, in inspiring the writer to, to use this language, chose these words. They disciplined us, get that, as they thought best or as it seemed best to them. So our fathers have done that, or they're doing that. They discipline us as they thought best for us. And I'm here to tell you today that that's all that any dad can do. He can only do what he thinks best at the time and giving the circumstances. A hundred years ago, I remember watching a TV show called Father Knows Best, and uh Robert Young was the father who happened, in that case, to know best, who played Jim Anderson, and he was the father of three children, Princess, Bud, and Kitten. And I'm assuming those names were not the names that appeared on their birth certificate. Now, when it would come on in reruns, I can remember thinking, what's Marcus Welby doing playing somebody's dad? Some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. But the truth is, we grow up in homes where father... A father thinks best. What he, what he is hoping and what he is aspiring to do, he thinks that that is best. And I'm telling you, that's pretty much the way discipline works. I'm convinced that the only time when you are absolutely sure what's best for your kids, when you are undeniably confident about what's the only appropriate way of raising your kids is before you have them. And I think some of you know what I'm talking about in that regard as well. Before our first child came along, I can't tell you the number of times I said, my kid will never act like that. <laughs> or as a parent, I will never do or I will never say that. And let me tell you, I have eaten those words for breakfast, lunch, dinner, and afternoon snack many, many times. But will children come into your home when you're actually responsible for those little lives and those souls? When they come into your home and into your life, from then on it becomes as you think best. And that's okay. And it's a great relief to me to know that I do not have to be, dads listen to me, that I don't have to be and you don't have to be a perfect father. Let me tell you dads and moms something. There's only one perfect father and he doesn't live here on earth. His address is in heaven. And I know one far from perfect father who happens to live at 355 Wagon Park, Montgomery, Alabama. But dads being being imperfect is okay, and that's your job. Somebody has to love and discipline those children, and if you've read Ephesians chapter 5, you know that God has told us, not asked us, but told us that we are to be the point man in our homes. We are to walk point. We are the ones primarily responsible for the spiritual upbringing of our kids. And, Father, sometimes, sometimes you'll be wrong. And it may seem when you are in the midst of battle or even when you're looking back on your experiences as a dad, You may think, well, I I guess I was wrong a lot more times than I was right about some of these situations. But you see, the quest, the challenge for us as fathers is to be guided, I hope you're listening, is to be guided by this word and to do what you believe is best in light of God's will for you and for your entire family, even when it is not the most popular thing to do. You're going to guide your children in the way and the will of the Lord. Here's the fourth thing, and the last thing I want us to notice about our text this morning. Our dads are with us for only a short time. Look at the first part of verse 10. For a little while, or the New King James Version reads, for just a few days. I'm so very much aware of that in my own life. This is maybe more about me than you want to know, but in a couple of months, I'll turn 66. I don't know how that happened except to say rapidly. My own father passed away 12 years ago as of August the 20th, 2007, and I can vividly remember those years. Decades ago, when I lived under my father's roof, stuck my feet under his table, and my father's discipline, even though at the time it seemed like it was all I could think about, as I look back on it, it seems like such a very short time ago, and some of you have experienced that. I want our young people to know that when I lived under my dad's roof and and stuck my feet under his table, I wanted time to fly. You know, I I wanted it to hurry by as quickly as it possibly could so that I could get out from under that authority and I could do what I wanted to do and call my own shots. But today, today I wish I could still see my dad. You know, I don't have any major regrets as I look back over my life. Emphasis on major. Oh, there's regrets, but not major regrets. But I regret that the last time my dad and I played tennis, I didn't know it was the last time. And if I had, I'll guarantee you, I would have cherished that moment much more than I did Looking back, I I know that my time with dad was all too short. And young people, I remember sitting right where you're you're sitting right now and being your age and looking at people who are in their 30s and 40s and even 50s and wondering how do people that old even walk. (laughs) But I'm telling you, just as quickly as you can turn around, you're going to be right where I am and you're going to be getting old you're going to be raising your own kids and your parents will be elderly and then your parents will be gone and you'll be sitting there in the quietness of your own room wondering where in the world did all the time go you know we tell our parents and rightly so to cherish the time with their children because time passes by at the speed of light let me tell you something folks the other side of that coin is also operational it's also true You need to, as young people, you need to cherish and appreciate the time that you have with your parents because the writer of our text says that time with them will be for only a very short time. I have an article I want to end with this morning that was written by George Cunningham who happens to be an elder of the Lord's Church over in the Fort Worth, Texas area. And he wrote it on the occasion of sending his first child, Angela, off to college. And I've saved this article to share with you on Father's Day. It's called Just One Set of Rollers. Here's what he writes. How can this be? How can the cute little baby that had the single curl on top of her head, the precious little girl that wanted Santa to have a vacation because he was so busy, 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 and the energetic child that loved to work a little, play a little with her mother, now be such a poised and beautiful young lady easing into adulthood? How could that little girl that that felt somewhat awkward then have so quickly turned into such a beautiful Christ-filled person that touches with joy and compassion every life that she encounters? It didn't really register until yesterday when we were saying a prayer for her safety and happiness as we were about to take her to college for the first time that this, this same little girl was taking the first step toward becoming less dependent on her mother and me and one step closer to having another man become the most important male figure in her life. And somehow, as I struggled to make it through that prayer, and I wiped away the tears, I knew it was for the best that she had the strength and the character to make her own way in the world while following God. And the opportunity to discover her own true lifelong companion were things that could only be accomplished away from the sometimes overprotective hands of her loving family. My question is, how in the world it happened this fast when this morning i saw just one set of, of rollers where there used to be two and i saw her now empty spot at the table where she usually ate breakfast at the same time as me the lack of confidence in our parenting really set in did we prepare her adequately for all that she'll encounter when she's on her own did we help her sufficiently strengthen her faith in God so that when the evil one comes, and he always comes, she'll be able to recognize and defeat him with God's help? Did we immerse her deep enough in our love so that she will know that no matter what mistake she makes or how difficult the path becomes, she'll always have a non judgmental place filled with love and compassion to which she can run, and that will not only welcome her back, but will also run to meet her on the way? As I walk past her room this morning, And I saw the bed that still wasn't made. My heart was filled with a desire to call her to make sure she was safe and that she knew how much we loved her. But instead, I just said a prayer for her, asking God to make his and our love for her more and more tangible and understandable and desirable over the next difficult days and weeks and years in such a way that she'll be determined to pass it on to her own husband and children and family and friends. God, thank you for blessing us with such a wonderful gift as our our little girl. She was entrusted to our guidance such a short time, has been such a joy to us and to so many others. And now confidently we place her in your loving care. We know that even though we ache to be alongside her as she takes these steps to cross over into adulthood, that the place where you have her now, encircled in your arms and embraced close to your heart, is exactly where she needs to be. And we place all of our confidence in you to finish the work that you entrusted us to begin. Thank you for loving our little girl. Not just because I am one, but I can say without a doubt this morning that dads are special people. And let me tell you, if you were raised by a loving and godly father, then as the writer says in our text, you can know something about how deep the heavenly father's love is for every one of his children, and that gets the most of us. If your dad is still alive today and you can take him out to lunch, if you can hug his neck, if you can call him on the phone, then take time to also thank God for your dad and spend a little time actually thanking your dad. Do you have a godly dad or mother somewhere who's praying for you to come to the Lord to become a Christian? Do you have a parent who's praying for you to Maybe come back to the Lord before time runs out. Maybe the greater question that we need to ask this morning is, Dad, do you have a son or a daughter somewhere who is praying for you to come to the Lord? There's nothing that they would wish far more than their father become their brother in Christ in the waters of baptism. And so if you need to respond to the Lord in any way, then we plead with you to come while we stand and while we sing. Now for thee, though you wandered so far from the presence come today. Here is loving voice calling still.